You're listening to episode 200 of the FitzPro podcast, and I am so excited. For some reason, 200 feels like a huge deal. And here we are. We have over 200,000 downloads, 200 episodes. We've just, we've been in it. So thank you for being here. Today, we are going to go over what I think is a really fitting topic for the 200th episode, which is 10 fitness questions answered. These are very common questions that I have gotten over the years. I still continue to get them. I think they are questions that are going to continue to be asked no matter how far the industry advances. So that is why I am giving them a permanent place here on episode 200. Without further ado, let's dive in. The FitzPro podcast is your no BS approach to seeking out truth in the world that is online health and fitness. You'll see through the lens of the trainer, the trainee, and the entrepreneur. I'm your host, Annie Miller, certified strength and conditioning specialist, entrepreneur, lover of sleep, lattes, and dinosaurs, aka not your average FitzPro. And my aim is to help you grow your mind, body, and business through knowledge and authenticity so that you too can become a FitzPro. I'm going to answer these in spitfire fashion. So there is absolutely nothing prepped here aside from the questions themselves. But before we get into that, I do want to thank Legion Athletics, the number one brand of all natural sports supplements in the world. I don't just say that. It's actually true. Just like when they say they are backed by science, they are actually backed by science, meaning there are scientific studies and literature, peer-reviewed literature on every single product on their site, which allows you to see why they have chosen and not only the ingredients that they use, but also the dosages of those ingredients so that you can actually see the efficacy of the product. So that is why I love them. My favorite products are their Recharge Creatine, um, their Whey Protein. My favorite flavor is the Cocoa Cereal. It's a bit more mild than just straight cocoa. So I love it. I just mix it with water. It does what it needs to. And then their pre-workout, which is Pulse. I use the non-stim version because Lord knows I do not need more caffeine in my life. And I use their multivitamin, their fish oil, and a couple other supplements as well. Needless to say, I love them. I use them for real. Use code Annie at checkout. If you go to buylegion.com, B-U-Y legion.com, use code Annie, get 20% off your first order or double Legion reward points if you already love them and you would like to give me some love. Alrighty, so like I said, I'm going to answer these Spitfire fashion. These are not in any particular order whatsoever. We will see how long this takes, but I don't foresee it being a very long episode. Is working with body weight or dumbbells comparable to a full gym when looking to build muscle or strength? This, if this, if I've ever heard a pandemic question, this is a panorama question. At some point, you are not going to be able to achieve the same muscular growth being hypertrophy or strength using dumbbells and body weight. You can absolutely do, I think, more than people think you can with your own body weight and dumbbells, but your skill level is going to need to increase. So when I think of like a gymnast, they do all body weight, right? Very rarely are they adding load in the in the mainstream way that we think about adding load but they are stacked as far as their body. Now they do very high volume body weight exercises at also a very high intensity. So I don't think that that is the case for the norm. I would consider that an outlier of what you can do with your body weight in regards to building muscle and building strength. Same goes for dumbbells. You can do a lot with dumbbells. They're a great piece of equipment. They don't take up a lot of space. You can do, um, 
a lot of different exercises with them. They have high versatility. But in a full gym, which is this question, you just have more options. And more options means more options with range of motion, more options with load, more options with movement variation. And all of those open the door for more hypertrophy because we can recruit different muscle fibers at different intensities, at different lengths, and then also just access to higher loads. And we know we need mechanical tension to have hypertrophy happen to increase strength. And so the the more options we have to exercise mechanical load, the more potential we have for muscle growth and strength. I hope that makes sense. Um, at some point, you're going to reach a limit of what you can do with your body weight and dumbbells. I do not think it compares what you can do with dumbbells as far as strength, as well as when you think about like the fact that with dumbbells, you are limited by the fact that you have to hold them in your hands. So either your grip is going to give out before a different area of your body is the area that you are working with the dumbbells, or let's say you're working legs and you're doing some kind of squatting pattern. Yes, you could hold it between your legs. You could hold it up at your chest. You could hold it in a front rack position, but that means that you have to be able to lift that weight up to your chest or your shoulders. And that likely is not going to be a heavy enough load to challenge your legs. So we have some limiting factors there in the fact that you have to hold how the weight is essentially loaded on your body with dumbbells. All right. Next question is, should I increase volume or load first? And does it matter? This is a fantastic question. It depends. Um, There is no right or wrong, but I think that you need to be mindful when choosing which of these you increase first. So I typically go with increasing volume first because I want to increase capacity and then add load. That is my own personal logic. Um, That kind of comes from the load versus capacity paradigm, if you will, which is that typically we have injury when load exceeds our capacity. So I always shoot to increase work capacity first and then load. So if you are doing three sets of eight with single arm dumbbell presses, I am going to have someone likely use that same weight for a set of 10 or three sets of 10 before we increase load. That's my personal preference. You can absolutely increase load first. Maybe if you're starting at a high volume to begin with, then yes, increase load. No need to increase volume anymore, but typically I would go with increasing volume first and then increase load. Either way, you are increasing the overall work done and the intensity of that exercise by either adding more sets and reps, more time under tension, or adding that mechanical load. So it, it's, it's going to be a win-win either way. Um, do whatever makes sense for your program, for your goals. But like I said, I would increase volume first and then load. At some point, you're going to increase both. So it's just which path are you taking to get there? Number three, is being sore a solid indicator of hypertrophy? It might be an indicator of hypertrophy. It could be an indicator of shitty recovery, as well. It could just be an indicator of the fact that you did something new. You added a new stimulus to your body. You did a different variation of an exercise. You reached a new range of motion. You used a higher load. You spent more time in the eccentric phase. These are all reasons that we might experience DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. It does not mean that you are going to get hypertrophy. Hypertrophy is a result of recovering from damage to the muscle or an increase in stimulus to a muscle. 
that does not require you to be sore in order for that to happen. That's what I want people to understand. So to call it a solid indicator, I'm reluctant to call it a solid indicator. It might be an indicator of potential for hypertrophy. That is what I would say in regards to soreness being an indicator of hypertrophy. I'm going to say that again. It is a indicator that there might be potential for hypertrophy to take place if the body recovers from that soreness. You do not need to be sore. It is not a necessity for hypertrophy. Number four, what to do if you're sick? Skip the workout or push through? My gosh, this is the question that we all ask ourselves, isn't it? This is something that you will learn with training age. You'll kind of find your threshold of like the level of sickness or symptoms that you have and whether it's a good idea to go to the gym and just kind of go through the motions. So almost do like a deload week, work at 50% of what you would normally work at, but just get your blood flow going, maybe get your heart rate up a little bit, get your joints moving through their end ranges. Like I can absolutely see that happening. That's probably the middle ground that I go towards. I also see the logic in just completely resting, like I'm going to rest for 48 hours, get better as soon as I can, and then return at maybe 70% of your normal workload when you do return to the gym. But it really is trial and error, Um, and it depends on the level of sickness that you are experiencing, and I can't be the judge of that. So if I was working with a client, I would probably ask them a series of questions of, you know, how sick are they? What their symptoms are? What is their energy level like? If they are wearing some kind of tracker, like an aura ring or a watch of some kind, whether it's an Apple watch or a polar watch, you know, what does your recovery say? Uh, So let's look at some biofeedback from technology, but also just your own personal subjective biofeedback. How shitty do you feel? Do you have energy? okay, let's go and do, like I said, 50% of what we would normally do. Let's be super, super conservative. See how we feel the next day. If we feel good, maybe repeat that. If we feel worse, let's just take some time off. So be open to some trial and error there. Just also know that your results come from what you do most often. So do not stress out about having to miss the gym if you are sick, even for you know three weeks. Take the time off if needed. When you're doing this for the long haul, that three weeks is not going to kill your gains. Don't worry about it. Focus on your health. Focus on recovery. Return to the gym when you can. But as far as the verbiage of or push through, I would not, I would rarely, if ever, suggest pushing through at your normal 100% effort if you are sick. You are adding stress to your body when it is attempting to recover from something, which is not something I would ever suggest doing. So for me, it's skip the workout or do the workout scaled back. That is more so the options that I would look at when regards when looking at being sick and working out. Number five, how do you deal with working out postpartum and being sleep deprived? Isn't that counterintuitive? This is a fantastic question, and it really speaks to the fact that I think the industry any industry, the world, loves to swing the pendulum from extreme to extreme. So I think we had an era of no pain, no gain, no days off, push through everything, work out when you're sick, all of the things, right? Work out on five hours of sleep, sleep when you're dead, kind of these narratives. And then the pendulum swung to 
listen to your body, rest. If you're not getting eight hours of sleep, there's no point in working out. If you're not having optimal recovery, there's no point in working out. It's a waste of your workout. It's a waste of your energy. You're just adding more stress to the body, et cetera, et cetera. I think the best results are going to be found in the middle. So for me, in postpartum, number one, I started wearing my aura ring at three months because I was starting to get more regular sleep. And I was like, before that, I didn't want the data. I did not need technology telling me how shitty I slept. I was aware, did not need, did not need that feedback, did not need that affirmation. I started wearing it at three months and was surprised to see that I was actually getting pretty high scores, even with broken sleep. I was recovering well. My HRV was good. My resting heart rate was really low. Um, and I was getting, you know, seven or eight broken hours of sleep. And I was like, that's fine. My body can work with that. That feedback, in addition to how I feel, allows me to know that I can push in my workouts. I'm also not in a deficit by any means. I am eating all of the food. So I know that I am getting enough fuel for those workouts. Uh, at the time of recording this, I'm four months postpartum, but it will come out when I'm five months postpartum. And when I started lifting six weeks postpartum, I, I shouldn't even say lifting. When I started moving my body at six weeks postpartum, the workouts were literally like mobility. So to say that working out sleep deprived, okay, well, let's not really call them workouts. I was doing mobility work, some very, very, very light body weight movements and walking. That is not taxing to my body. The benefits of doing that with a little bit of sleep far outweigh any level of stress, which was zero, that it was adding to my body, if that makes sense. So even now when my workout intensity is a lot higher, I mean, especially with my accessory work now, with dumbbell work, lunges, step-ups, even like bench press, overhead press, pull-ups, I'm doing what I was preconception. So working at pretty high intensities, I feel fine. I'm recovering fine. And again, the benefit of doing that from the mental, the physical, the autonomy that I get from it far outweighs saying, oh, I didn't get perfect sleep, so I'm going to do nothing. That's, that is not, that's not it. That ain't it. Um, that does not feel good. And I am losing muscle if I do that. And we know how important muscle is for metabolism, for your immune system, for how your body functions, period. I'm losing mobility if I don't get my body into my end ranges. So there's just so many other positive things that come from moving my body and lifting than the maybe need to back off of the intensity because of the sleep deprivation. Hopefully that all makes sense and it wasn't too all over the place. Is a movement like bird dogs better for core stability than an ab roller? I'm going to answer this from the perspective, I guess, of just working the core period. So the ab roller, while it might be trendy, it's actually a very challenging exercise and does work your core. It works parts of your back. It works your lats heavily um, all the way down to your hip girdle. So it really does involve both of the exercises, a bird dog and a ab roller work from the shoulder joint all the way down to the hips, which is your core. I would categorize a bird dog as an easier exercise than the ab roller. So with a bird dog, we're not working nearly 
as against gravity as you are with the ab roller. So it's not that one of these is better for stability. I would just say a bird dog is easier than doing an ab roller. They're completely different exercises. As far as in a bird dog, you're working opposite arm, opposite leg, going away from the midline and coming back towards the midline. And like I said, gravity is not nearly as much of a factor in a bird dog as an ab roller. In an ab roller, we are in a plank position and our core is challenged because our center of gravity is moving further away from us. It's also more challenging because in that plank position, your hips are extended versus in the bird dog, your hips are in a flexed position with your knees underneath the hips. So again, I don't think one is better or worse. I just think that they're completely different. Next up is a heart rate monitor needed for improving cardiovascular health. No, but it's a nice tool to have. That's kind of the short version of that. I enjoy having a heart rate monitor to work based off of my heart rate. So that's where you could say, yes, it's I, I'm careful because you asked, is it needed to improve cardiovascular health? No. If you just do cardio and you switch up different types of cardio that you do and you increase intensity over time, you will likely improve your cardiovascular health. Does a heart rate monitor maybe make it easier to track that progress? Yes. Does it make it easier to implement different heart rate training methods? Yes. And that is why I enjoy using them. To me, it's like a bang for your buck situation. You can actually see like I'm getting into zone four or I'm getting into zone five. I'm staying there for X amount of time. And then I'm allowing my heart rate to come back down to zone two for two minutes before I go again. That's the benefit of having a heart rate monitor. It is not needed to improve cardiovascular health. It is a very nice tool to have in my opinion. Along that same line is number seven, I believe, or eight. Cardio before or after lifting, that completely depends. Basically, if cardio is your main goal, if you are a runner or if conditioning is your current main goal, you would do that before your lift. If lifting is your main goal, hypertrophy, strength, etc., then you are going to do that first and then do the cardio afterwards. You also get a nice little accumulation effect if you do it in that order. If lifting was your main goal and you did the cardio first, you would get basically a negative side of accumulation effect, meaning that your lifts are going to feel harder doing them after cardio versus doing your lift first. And then you're not having to work as hard on the cardio, but your heart rate is still going to reach those goal intensities that you have for the conditioning that you're doing after the lift. Basically, whichever is more important to you, do that first. Number nine is best cardio for cardiovascular health. There isn't one. It totally depends. Do the cardio that you enjoy doing straight up. There are types of cardio that add resistance, such as a bike or doing hill sprints or doing sled drags. Those are fun. They have other benefits, but there is not a best cardio for the way that your cardiovascular system adapts to stimulus that you are providing from whatever cardio you're doing. Number 10 and Maybe the most controversial currently topic, mainly because I think it's somewhat fresh, but we do have a decent amount of research on it now. We need way more, but the question is thoughts on cycle syncing. Now, cycle syncing is where you change up your lifting or your exercise in general around your phases of your menstrual cycle. It is very important to note that this is in regards to someone who is not on hormonal birth control. That is an extremely important part of the conversation that I think it's left out often. We are talking about a healthy menstrual cycle off of hormonal birth control. That needs to be said. 
That is the context in which most of this research is done, if not all of the research. I haven't obviously read every single piece of literature done on this, every study conducted, but all of the ones that I have that are making up the answer to this are in the context of a healthy menstrual cycle, a regular menstrual cycle in the absence of hormonal birth control. Research does not support the need for cycle syncing if, like I said, the period is healthy. There's no significant differences in strength and force output or capacity in the different phases of your cycle. The main thing to think about here is that it is a subjective feeling. So you may feel different, but trust that your body is more likely than not it can still hit those normal performance measures. So that's what the study shows, or most of the studies show, excuse me, I'm trying to be careful with with my verbiage here. Most of the studies show, again, no significant difference of force output, of work capacity in your different phases of your cycle. That does not mean that you don't feel lethargic in your luteal phase or that you don't feel more energetic in your follicular phase. So while I'm not for cycle syncing, I don't think we need to completely change up our training. I do think that maybe there is a, one, there's a benefit to know, like attempt to do your normal work because you probably can. It doesn't feel that way, but you probably can. Your muscles can perform how they normally would. Number two is If you do have a little extra energy in your follicular phase, then go ahead and push and take advantage of that. So that is all I have to say about that. Those are 10 fitness questions answered. I hope that that was enjoyable for you. I will refer to this episode for years to come, I hope. Um, If you love this episode, if you love this podcast, please give the show five stars and a written review wherever you listen. And then if you're not on my main mailing list, go to annymiller.co slash news and get on there because there are exclusive podcast listener discounts. Until next time, I am Annie Miller and thank you for tuning in to the Fitz Pro Podcast. Podcast.